Well, whether you are here in person or you have chosen to join us uh, by Facebook Live, uh, we're very glad that you're part of this, and we hope that uh, the message that we'll have for you will be something that will be encouraging, will be edifying, and will help you uh, in your endeavor to live the Christian life and to acknowledge that there are some real struggles with living as a Christian in this world. And, and so uh, I hope we can, we can uh, present something that will help us in that endeavor to try to be better in our daily walk with Jesus. And so I want to start by looking at this idea of that there is a knowing-doing gap. And that is the difference between the thing that we know that we should do and the thing that we actually follow through and do. Uh, and I'm going to use a three what I would call secular examples. And I don't want you to infer from that that because I'm using, I'm not trying to equate these things with being a Christian, although I think the third one you probably could pretty closely. But um, I don't want you to get the idea that, okay, if I'm weak in that area, it means I'm a lousy Christian. I'm not saying that. But I'm, I'm saying I think it illustrates this point of there is oftentimes a gap with the, between what we know we ought to be doing versus what we actually follow through and do. And the first is with financing, with your own personal financing. You know, finance is a, is a hard thing because it, you're emotionally attached to that. That's, that you've worked for that money and that's important to you. And now how are you going to use that? But the reality is, is a lot of times we get out there and we have a budget. We have an idea of how we want to spend our money. And maybe we're saving up for a new home or a new car or, or uh, you know, in our case, we're kind of looking at maybe doing floors in the house, whatever it is. But as you go through your day, you may come across things you go, I want that. I really want that in the moment. And because I want it in the moment, I make an impulse decision to buy it. And I end up putting myself in a position later that I can't afford the thing that I said I really wanted. And I miss out on the thing that I really that was really more important to me. But I sacrificed that. So again, there's this, there's this idea of what I know I should be doing versus what I follow through and do. And so there's this gap in there. Another, another area is, is our health or our weight. Uh, again, this is not to imply that if, if you're heavy, you're a bad Christian. But we're saying that there, there are people that set goals of, I want to lose this weight but then they get in front of meal after meal you know there's a special occasion every day it's it's your birthday it's somebody else's birthday it's family's birthday it's a it's an office party it, there's always a really good reason to jump off that diet and I, I've certainly done it myself and um, it, but the point is is that if you're going to continue to do that what you know you need to do and what you actually do are not always the same. And so, uh, you know, you can say this is a lack of discipline in, in both these cases, and that's probably true. Uh, but again, just a knowing-doing gap. And then finally, an addiction. So people that are addicted, whether it's, whether it's alcohol or tobacco, drugs, uh, in the case I'm using here is gambling, uh, the person here knows that, in the long run, this is not a this is not a productive habit. That uh, you know, if you if you 
bet on football games or you bet on uh, any kind of sporting event, it's rigged. It's set up in a way that the people that are taking in the bets are going to win in the long haul. That's how they build those great big facilities with money that they earn off people that are making these bets. And so if you just, just logically look at it, it's pretty obvious that that is not a road that you ought to be on. But yet people get addicted to the thrill of winning and they end up paying a pretty heavy price for that in a lot of cases. So I want us to now move into the, uh, to the religious realm. And this is the, this is the writings of the Apostle Paul. Probably one of the guys in the New Testament that we would say that is as about as a righteous a person as you can imagine. And here's what he says in Romans chapter 7. He says, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the thing, the good thing I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. And most of us will probably acknowledge that at least in some facet of our Christian life, there is this struggle there is this knowing of what I should do, but an inability to consistently follow through and do that. And so Paul says that, and you know, to be honest, we are walking contradictions. We have a set of, of, of values that we believe in, but yet it's when it comes down to actually executing these things consistently, it's more challenging. Um, I was talking to Brother Yancey some time ago, and he was talking about, about his company, and one of the things that they do is they have a very clear set of core values. And so oftentimes they'll get in a meeting, and they've got a really hard decision to make. What do we do? Um, you know, it's, it's a tough call. Do we let this employee go? Do we keep that employee? Do we, we build this new project? Do we pay these guys in advance or do we not? What, whatever the decision is, sometimes those are hard decisions. And so what he said has been very helpful is that they will also, some, they'll come back and they'll go, what are our core values? And he said sometimes when you do that, it becomes very clear as to what you ought to do. Because see, even people that are immersed in that culture, if, you, if you're not thinking about it in the moment, you can talk yourself into going down any logical road that makes some sense to you in the moment, but they may not align with your long-term goals. And so Christians have this struggle of our carnal nature doing the things, being pulled to do the things that we know we shouldn't be doing, but our spiritual nature telling us what we ought to do. So let's, let's look at an example in the Old Testament. We come to a time where the children of Israel are about to inherit the promised land. It's been a long 40-year journey, but they're finally, they're finally here. They're going to inherit the promised land. And Moses has one final chance. Now, he's led these people through the parting of the Red Sea. He led them out of Egyptian bondage and the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness 
And we know that Moses, because of his own sin, is not going to be able to go in. But he has one last chance to address the people. What's he going to tell them? What's he going to say? Here's what he says. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verses 10 and 11, he says, So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, to give you the large and beautiful cities which you didn't build, houses full of all good things which you didn't fill, hone out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, when you have eaten and are full. What's he going to say? Is he going to say, we know that you will be so thankful that God has given you all these things that you will follow Him for generations on end. Is that what you think he would say? He doesn't. As you might predict, he says, then when you prosper and things are going great, beware. Why? Lest thou forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. That after you've been blessed and prosper and things are as good as there can possibly be and good as they're going to get, and you didn't, have to, you didn't have to build those cities, and you didn't have to dig those wells, and all these things are provided for you, you didn't have to work for, then you're going to be tempted to forget that God gave that to you. You know, just a little bit of an aside, but it kind of ties in. Uh, several years ago, there was a young man that uh, was involved in a, an accident. He was drinking, taking drugs, driving too fast, and he was in a wreck that ended up killing four people. And he went on trial, and his, his lawyer, he ended up getting like 10 months of probation. His lawyer argued that... Um, he was a victim of affluenza. Meaning that he had grown up with such a lavish life where he didn't have to provide anything, kind of like these guys. You didn't have to do any of that stuff. And you had all these things that you thought just came to you naturally. And so you had no ability to discern right from wrong. You know, I, whether you... You know, whether you buy that argument or not, I'm sure you probably don't. I, I didn't either. But it was effective, and I think there's a grain of truth to it because of what, what Moses warns them here, is that when things are going great, let's be honest, that's our nature. You know, I pray every day that this, this pandemic will end soon, that these days will be shortened and we'll get past this. I pray that every day. But that can happen that's good that can come out of this is it can turn people back to God. So when they look around and they realize that all these things that they thought were promised to them, that they thought was just baseline normal living, that that was their, their right, and suddenly you don't have that, then it's a, it's a call. It's a call to, to, to at least explore some other uh, avenues. And, and I think Coming to the Lord is one possibility for that, and I hope it happens. So now let's move from the Old Testament into the New, and we'll see a similar thing, and the, the writer Peter says this. And he, so he, he says, 
For he that lacks these things, well, what things? He, he, before in the previous verses, he had listed the Christian graces, add to your faith, virtue and knowledge, and knowledge, temperance, and temperance, patience, brotherly kindness, all those things. But he says that if you lack these Christian graces, you're short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Now, I think that word forgotten is interesting here because... Um, Let's be honest, in any, any day, that if someone came to you and said, oh, by the way, I've got a quiz for you. Who came about 2,000 years, gave his life on the cross to die for the sins of man? I don't think there's anybody in this room and probably anybody even close to Christianity, maybe not even in America, that wouldn't identify that as being Jesus Christ. So from an intellectual, from a knowing standpoint, we get that. But I think what, what Peter is saying here is a lot like what Moses was saying is you're going to forget from an execution standpoint, from a doing standpoint, that it's not going to be the kind of impact that it should be in your life and it's not going to frame the way that you function, the way that you live, and the way you interact from day to day. So there's levels of forget. I can forget something completely or it can just cease to become an impact in my life. And I think that the latter is really what we're talking about here and the concern for most Christians. So go back to the Old Testament. So what was Moses' advice? So people are going to go in the land. They're going to inherit this. Here's my worry. You're going to get over there. You're going to forget God. What you do about it? Well, in the previous verses leading up to what I just read, he says this. He says, These are the words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gate. They're to be in your heart. You're to teach them. You're to share them with your children. You're to talk of them when you sit down, when you walk, when you lie down, when you rise up. You get in the picture. It's in a total immersion in that. And so if you're totally immersed in that, and that becomes the thing that you're most familiar with, then as you begin to experience life, you're going to filter life through that. But see, if you don't spend time in the Word, then you're not going to have that same perspective. And so Moses is saying here to the people before they go in, you're going to have to immerse yourself in God's words and His commandments because if you don't, your nature says, forget it. And go about living your life the way that you would without thinking about him and without thinking about the, the God that led them from captivity. That is, he's got another miracle ahead of them. They're, they're about to go through the, uh, the Jordan River and it's very similar to the Red Sea. He parts it and the whole nation crosses. They set up a couple of monuments there as a memorial to remember that. But after all of that, what was the worry? You'll forget. And what did they do? Didn't take very long. They begin to forget. Well, so a similar passage if we back up in Peter. He says the same thing. He says, add to your faith virtue 
and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and so forth and so on. But you get the idea that we're, we have to be immersed in this, and we have to be practitioners of being a Christian, not just knowers, but rather doers. James says uh, in, a same, in a similar way, he says you know, that you're supposed to not just look in the perfect law of liberty, but be a doer of the word and continue in it, not being a forgetful hearer. And so we see this, this is brought out over and over and over. You know, um, as most of you know, I spent many years as a basketball coach. And one thing that I, that I noticed that you had, whatever you thought you needed to do with teaching fundamentals, They'll say that you, you thought that you needed to spend about 30 minutes a day on fundamentals. You probably ought to double it. Because the reality is, is if you want that to be ingrained in their habits, to when they get in a game and they're under pressure and they don't have time to think, those things have to be habits. They can't be something that a player can think out in the moment. They have to be a natural instinct. And so a lot of coaching sports is about building a reaction that is appropriate for that situation. Most people call those fundamentals. And you have to spend a lot of time ingraining them in that. The reality, the other reality that this passage points out to me is that, you know, if you're not adding to your faith, spiritually you're dying. Now, you may not die spiritually today, but you're on a path to spiritual death. If you're not adding these things to your faith, you're on a path to spiritual death. And so one has to continue to be a practitioner of that or they'll begin to, uh, to fall away. So again, this whole idea of immersion in, in, in God's Word and in prayer, and in, so you're supposed to be you're supposed to talk it, you're supposed to pray it, you're supposed to study it, you're supposed to meditate upon it, and you're supposed to apply it. And if you do that, then that's going to become that fundamental, that habit that you can live life through effectively rather than being someone that's tossed to and fro and you, you know, ever a good idea, every idea that comes down sounds good and let me try this and um, see if that works. And it ends up not... Uh, not working so well with your efforts to live as a Christian. So, why is this advice so difficult? It's pretty easy, isn't it? I mean, I haven't said anything this morning that's revolutionary or like, oh, wow, oh, that's amazing. It, it's pretty simple. But why is this difficult to follow? Well, the first thing is, life's pretty distracting. There's a lot going on. And when there's a lot going on, it's easy to lose sight of what your goals are and what you really want to be like. It's really easy to lose sight of your core values when you become distracted. The second thing is, is in American society, we typically want a quick fix. You know, give me this, and if I do this now, my life for the next 20 years will be great, and I won't have to mess with it anymore. That's not how this works. This is a, and, and you know, what Moses explained to him is this continual process of, of reading it, speaking it, living it, all of those things. There's no magic in that, is there? It's, it's hard work. It's hard work, and there's nothing, there's no quick fix here. 
I wish there were, but there's not. And most of us that have been Christians for any length of time will recognize that when you think you found the solution, that you found the solution, but if, as soon as you leave the solution, you're going to lose the benefits. And then there's this gap between when you have this aha moment that says, this is what I want to do. I'm going, I'm going to commit myself to reading the Bible in a year. Or I am going to commit myself to whatever it is. You have this is my plan. And then the mood leaves. And then all through. You had a great idea. Aha moment. But then time passed. And the mood that you were in is now gone. And that's really the definition of discipline. Is to do the thing that you said you were going to do. When you had the aha moment and then follow through with that thing. The truth though is there is magic. There's magic in that word. And just like Moses promised them that if they spend time studying it and talking it and walking it and all those things. It will produce benefits. It will produce change. It won't, be, it won't be a quick fix. But if you do it over a protracted period of time you will begin to see the benefits but like anything if you step out of it you will you'll begin to lose those benefits so staying in the word and understanding that over time the word will will create uh, results uh, many of you may know that I like to play the guitar I'm not very good and I'll tell you why I'm not very good uh, first of all, I don't have a lot of talent. But secondly, I don't practice with the kind of, I plunk around on it a lot, but I don't practice with the kind of discipline that would be required to really, really get good. You know, uh, about three or four years ago, Ian Jones was uh, holding a meeting for us, and it was like in March. Ian came, and he stayed with Connie and I, and uh, we found we had all these different common connections. It was just unbelievable. But Ian's a good guitar player. And I, I, I talked to him about one particular habit that I have in playing that I wanted to try to break. And I said, can you give me some tips on how to do that? And he said, uh, he said yeah, but you're not going to like it. Okay, so I, now I'm interested. Right? I don't really want to know. So he tells me, and, and he gives me these exercises that you do. You know what? He's right. Those things ain't any fun. I quit doing them. Because they're not any fun. They're not plunking around on the guitar and having fun. But again, if you want, if, if that was really what I wanted to do, that's what I would need to do to get better. And so a lot of times, digging ourselves into the Word, that's hard work. But it will produce a result that will greatly benefit our lives. The problem is it won't benefit us in the moment. It'll benefit us three years down the road, six weeks down the road, or sometime. So you have to build the habit. Harder to do. So let's look at one more example. Here's a guy that wrote this. He says, I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell you all the marvelous works. I'll, I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, 
they shall fall and perish at your presence. For you have maintained my right and my cause. You sat on the throne judging in righteousness. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. You probably figured that this was David. David was, as is often said, a man of God's own heart. That's true of David. You know what else he was? He was a sinner that looked down on a woman that he wanted. And he sent for her. And he had an improper relationship with her. And ended up having a child by that relationship. And to cover up this crime, as bad as it was, he sent, he sent Bathsheba's husband into a battle, into the hottest spot, so that he would be killed. To cover up. So he takes an adultery, which was bad enough, and he covers it up with a murder. Now, this is the same guy. So again, my point is that we're a paradox and we've got to be careful to stay centered and focused on, our, on the Lord. So this morning I would just ask us, what about us? What about us as we live our lives, as we work, as we play, as we seek entertainment, as we seek social circles? What's in the middle? Is the cross in the middle? Is Jesus Christ? Is that the, the lens through which we focus all these other activities? Or do, or do we forget? Do we get so far away from him that we're not thinking about that? And so, yes, we, we think about it, but we only reserve it for Sunday. Is this, a, is this a Sunday activity only? Or is this the lens through which we filter the rest of our world? And I think that's the challenge for us as Christians, um, I hope this morning that I've been able to present something to you that's been interesting and encouraging and will help you in your efforts to not forget, to remember that Jesus Christ came and died for you to put you on a path to have a relationship with your Father in heaven. And let's not be like Israel that was blessed with that great blessing and got over there and got to thinking about their own self and what they wanted and got far away because it was too inconvenient to follow him. Let's follow the Lord. Let's do what we need to do to serve him. Uh, if we can help you here in our assembly, we'd be happy to do that as we sing the song of invitation. If you're joining us by Facebook Live, then perhaps you can find someone that's assembled with you there that can pray for you if you need those prayers. And so we'll offer the song of invitation.